Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. It's a new year, and with it comes new opportunities, new challenges, and new state leadership. The results of the 2022 Arizona general election propelled a new state governor and over 40 new state legislators, which is nearly half of the entire legislature, into office. This political shakeup can also be felt on the policy front as new state agency directors and advisors are settling into their new positions. Today, we welcome two outstanding individuals to give us perspective on these changes in state leadership, what it means for policymaking over the foreseeable future, and what stakeholders can do to harness these changes for a better Arizona. Here's our conversation with former Chief Public Policy Officer for Valley of the Sun United Way, Penny Alley Taylor, and former State Representative and former Executive Director of the Arizona Association of Health Plans, Deb Gullett where we discuss a new year and new state leadership. Let's dive in. Thank you so much, everybody who's listening in right now to the Vitalist Spark podcast. We are thrilled to have two esteemed guests to speak with today. First, we have Miss Deb Gullett. Deb most recently retired, although we, I think she's been retired, what, maybe for a week or two, Deb? And we- Three weeks. Three weeks, <laughs> not that you're counting. And then we knocked on her door already and said, hey, could you participate in a discussion? So thanks so much for being here, Deb. Deb is most recently the executive director of the Arizona Association of Health Plans and is also a former state legislator and has a long history of insight and knowledge and understanding of the state of Arizona and how public policy is ultimately made. We also have at the table today, Penny Alley Taylor. Penny, good afternoon. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for being here, Penny. For those of you who haven't met Penny, Penny is most recently the Chief Public Policy Officer with Valley of the Sun United Way and also has a long history in actually being a lobbyist down at the state legislature on a variety of topics related to community health, more broadly speaking. So we're thrilled to have you on board. Today's podcast, we're titling New Year, New State Leadership. We know we had an election at the end of last year. We have a new governor in office this year. And with a new governor comes new state leadership, new advisors to the governor's office, new agency directors for various state agencies across the state. So we're so happy to have both of you on board. I gave a brief overview of each of your backgrounds, but for those who are listening and haven't had the privilege of meeting either of you, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? maybe a little bit about your career. And then if you had kind of a golden nugget to pull out of your career to say, this is what made my career a great success that I held as this this constant throughout my entire career that propelled me, what would that be? So Deb, I'll start with you. Thank you, Marcus and Penny. It's so great to see you. You do such a nice job at the Capitol. And so I think this is going to be fun. And thank you so much for including me. Marcus, as you said, I just retired after 10 years with the Medicaid Health Plan Association. They are private companies that contract with the state to provide health care for 2.5 million Arizonans enrolled in the Medicaid program. So basically, I've been an advocate for low-income health care for the last decade. But I've been in and around government and politics for more than 40 years at every single level. As you said, I was elected to the House and served as the Health Committee Chairman for two years. I worked for John McCain both here and in Washington. I had a great job at the White House. I was Chief of Staff to a Phoenix mayor. 
And I grew up in Iowa where the presidential campaigns blow through every four years and they grab all kinds of people to go to Washington with them. I worked for George Bush, the dad, on his presidential campaign and followed him to Washington. Washington is filled with Iowans, in case that's just an interesting little fun fact to know and tell. If the primary dates change like they're talking about, we'll be a shock to people in Iowa that they don't get to run things anymore. But anyway, what drives me is honestly, I have had so much fun. I have worked for great people. I have worked in interesting times. It's been hard. It's been challenging. But I have just had an amazingly fun career. And that's really what's kept me going. That is incredible. And I think fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, I don't know that we have a ton of Iowans who listen in on this podcast since it's based in Arizona. We, we mean no offense to the Iowans. We wish you all the best in the world of public policy. But Tyrese, to- dude, they're fill, they fill this place. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to steal some of your thunder, Iowa. Penny, care to introduce yourself to the audience, a little bit about your background and what was it that kind of, or that has driven you throughout your career? Like Deb, I retired actually last year. So I've had the year off and it's been quite pleasurable. Although I do keep my foot in there just a little bit by doing a few projects here and there. So it's been good. But unlike Deb, I was born and grew up here in Arizona, but my mother is from Davenport, Iowa. So we both have those connections. The ties Uh, that bind Iowa. Yeah. I attended Arizona public schools in Phoenix. I graduated from ASU. I started out thinking I was going to get an economics degree, but the excitement wasn't there. It was in political science. So, So I have my degree in political science and then went on to the University of Phoenix for a master's in organizational management. And I've always had an interest in making things better. And doing it at a policy level can really bring things to scale. So I can see that what goes on in a policymaking chamber, whether it's a, a council, Phoenix City Council chamber or board of supervisors or up at the Capitol, that can really change people's lives. And so for a long time, been an advocate for what some might say the underdog in many ways and have strived for a level of justice for all. And some of this might actually come from my mother, Lieutenant Commander Allie, being one of the first women sworn officers in the state of Arizona. Treating people with a sense of fairness has always been an issue as I was growing up, as well as taking responsibility for your actions so that people, that that kind of thing got me thinking about fairness and justice. And so Like Deb as well, I've I've worked at multiple levels of government from federal, state, county. I've worked in private enterprise, uh, representing them, the nonprofits. As you stated, I was with the Valley of the Sun United Way for 10 years before I retired. And I've had the opportunity to engage with all the levels of government, representing issues with all the different sectors. So it's been interesting all along the way. And uh, oh, I, I've forgotten, I've even been elected to serve in public office. So I, I know kind of the stress of having to balance many perspectives in decision making, negotiating and compromising, which some are, are getting a taste of now. And uh, yeah, government has a huge impact on people's lives and engaging in the inputs and outcomes of policy development is, is critical to our form of governing. And so I've always felt like I could make a difference. And especially those who had no voice or a limited voice in our society and 
I, it gets me excited. And even though I'm retired, I still do it. That's my background in a nutshell. I like your mention of folks getting a dose of compromise now, whether they <laughs> like it or not. It seems like such a foreign concept. I want to start off with kind of a big picture question. You have both had a handful of years of experience in this public policy and policymaking space. So when you look at this era, this period that we're in right now, in terms of public policy, let's let's stick at a state level. And if you want to fold in national stuff, that's fine too. But give us some perspective. Like, how do you think about this era in public policymaking juxtaposed to those in years past? Are there certain things that really give you hope and make you excited? Are there certain things that concern you? With the new governor coming in, it's a time for new priorities. And and her priorities are, are going to be coming to the foreground as the chief executive of the state. And so this is really going to be an interesting time because with a split in the executive being of one party and the legislature of the other. It's really going to bring in some diverse dialogue, whether either one of them really like it or not, they will have these conversations and they will be deeper because they are from differing parties and we'll have a chance to have different kinds of conversations. We see this at the federal level as well when there's a split in executive office and the legislative a lot of times that brings about the policy and the best legislation because they are digging deeper and they are really getting into the elements of what is needed, what is not, what is relevant, what is not. And so they're looking at, at issues maybe a little bit differently than they had in the past because now they have a new leader at the executive level. So I think we're going to see some good dialogues that are coming up. I think we're going to see a bunch of different stakeholder groups that'll come together because of our new leadership at the executive level and the new agency directors that will bring a new perspective. Maybe it might seem to be a fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think we have some things that we can look forward to. That's great. Deb, I'm curious, in your experience, how do you see this era? I think everything changes. We have new people, we have new priorities, we have new styles, we have new perspectives. For the last eight years, we've had a governor who was a business executive leading our state. He had a different view of government, that less is more, that government ought to work like a business, Um, The best regulation is the least regulation. And with Katie Hobbs, we've just elected an advocate. She is a social worker by training, by temperance. And there is a huge difference between wanting to keep government out of people's lives and wanting to use government to improve people's life. I'm sure it's going to take a minute for her to get her feet under her. But during her time as Secretary of State, I know she was watching what happened on the, in the governor's office just two floors away. She has a clear vision of how she wants to lead, and it is different than what we've had for the last eight years. So, Penny, you are such a love. Your conversation about deeper conversations 
I hope that they are deeper and not more acrimonious because the <laughs> first couple of weeks have been interesting. Sounds like we've got an optimist and a pragmatist. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah um, I'm hoping that that will be the, the way that it goes where they're, they're going to get in underneath each other's skin. But in the end, I think it will come out with, with a bit of a better outcome because there's been more discussion more discussion and, and working out the kinks and having those voices that may not have been there in the past come to the fore. I think that's a good idea. So, but yes, I, I'm probably a little more optimistic. <laughs> Deb, you had alluded to it might take her a little bit of time to kind of get her feet under her. What does that mean for like the speed of policy by which it's decided? What does it mean about for like the issues that are going to receive attention in the state? What does it mean for like political posturing that we often see at the legislature, which by the way, the legislature has a ton of new members who have no experience in lawmaking, maybe not a lot of experience in the various issue areas, but know that they have to stick their flag in the ground somewhere. So what does all this newness mean for just policymaking in general? Well, okay, can I go to the budget? When I say Governor Hobbs is going to take a minute to get her feet under her, I I think it's going to take some adjustment to being the executive. She's got a legislative background. She's been immersed in election issues, but being the executive and running the state is different. But that doesn't mean that that she hasn't started off with a bang. And I think if she wanted to get people's attention, her budget certainly did that. Mission accomplished. That budget is a laundry list of every single idea I think that the Democrats have had in the last decade. Kids care, pay raises for teachers, no more private school vouchers, getting rid of barriers to abortion, new taxes, more government, And that's what the budget is supposed to do. It is supposed to outline the priorities of the executive, new executive, new priorities. But if you watched, Penny, I don't know if you saw it, but there was an excruciating four-hour hearing last week, because I guess I'm just not ready to give it up, and I tuned in, where the governor's budget director came before a joint committee of the legislature and presented the governor's priorities And the Republicans had, in my view, a predictable outcome. It's the end of the world as we know it. Light your hair on fire. Those woke people are going to ruin our state. And the appropriations chair even said, we'll shut down the government before we let that happen. So I think, to your point, Marcus, there is a lot of political posturing going on right now. But now's the time it's supposed to. They're new. They're trying to feel each other out, the legislature and the executive. And so I'm hopeful that it will be short-lived, that they'll figure out, as Penny said, there are new voices and new priorities and people coming to the table with ideas that this legislature hasn't talked seriously about in recent years. So I'm hopeful they'll get it out of their systems and get to the actual work. Yeah, Deb's right. I mean, her budget, it's just a blueprint for her priorities. And she did. She put in a lot of different things that you wouldn't see in the past. It's, it's kind of a wish list. But it's also a signal of what her priorities are for the legislature. So the legislature knows what she'll be looking at. And and she knows what are the issues for the legislature as well. Because during this last cycle, they've been hearing from 
constituents. They've been hearing from the party people. They've been hearing all these issues that are coming to the foreground. Some are are really serious things that have to be taken care of. Others are more for, let's say, certain audiences to let them know that we, we heard you, but it may not go forward, but we did hear you. And so eventually this first week, to your point, you know, about the four hours that was laying out their expectations and also what they won't do. And so they're drawing their lines right now. And eventually they're going to be stepped over and crossed. And there's going to be some horse trading to make sure that certain interests get what they need out of it. We know that that some of them are are going to get a little more than others. But in the end, it will come out. There will be a budget She's not going to get everything she wants. The legislature certainly won't get everything that they want because she's got this handy dandy thing called veto power. Mm -hmm. And so you can move a bill through with 60 in the House and 30 in the Senate, and she still has the one vote at the end. So it'll be an interesting time, but and a lot of new members. A lot of members that are that are going to be learning the curves. They're going to be learning what they can do in their committees. They're going to be learning issues, how they can respond to their constituents, how they can work with their constituents, all sorts of different things going on with the, the new members. And I think we have more new members this session than I've ever seen, both in the House and the Senate. So a lot of education that will need to go on with those new members, whether it's education for bills in their committees, or there's going to be issues from their district that are going to come to them. And they they may not be on that committee, but people in their district are going to want them to have a voice around certain things. So they are trying to drink from the fire hose right now. Deb, I'm curious with in your time in state office, does any of this resonate? Does any of it feel familiar? Are you having PTSD at all? (laughs) I find it somewhat comical that in your first year of retirement, you're still on your couch tuning into the state legislature on your computer. I I know I can't help myself. I think that Penny's right with 43 freshmen. I don't expect that we're going to have massive policy changes this year because it's complicated to do really big issues while they're trying to find their way around new rules, new people, new place. They don't know who to trust. Everybody's got an agenda down there. So on opening day of my very first term, Penny and Marcus, you both know Sue Gerard. She was my seatmate and she came over to the house and we listened to the governor give the state of the state speech. And then she handed me this big stack of blue folders and said, these are interest sets for you. These are some easy bills that I think that you should do instead of me to get your feet wet. And I'm like, oh, Susan, thank you. You are the greatest. I'm going to be a good one until I got to the education committee to testify about one of the bills that was supposed to simply update the statutes that we have on the books related to how we teach third grade reading. And most of the bill was just that, just what I thought, just a little upgrade. But who knew that changing three words, the words phonics to whole language, or maybe it was vice versa, it might've been whole language to phonics, Anyway, it brought out dozens and dozens of angry parents and angry teachers. 
I read all the fine print. I knew those words were in it. I had no idea what they meant because I wasn't experienced enough to ask the right questions. We sorted it out and Gerard thought it was hilarious that I got sandbagged. I never went to another committee hearing without knowing with the other side what the people who weren't the advocates thought about it. So there's a learning curve. And for a lot of members, and I thought I knew a lot having been around government and politics, but it's a steep curve. Next year, we will probably see hundreds more bills than we've got on tap this year. And next year is an election year, so it's going to be horrible. Yeah, Deb's just right. Usually the freshman legislators, they'll introduce maybe just a couple of bills on topics that were really important to their constituents or maybe one of the senior members hands them one. Hopefully it's not quite as controversial as that one, but you know, they'll have some stakeholder meetings and they'll put their ideas on paper and create something of a starting point for the the real public process. And I can remember one unique approach by a new legislator. He decided that he would introduce a number of bills on issues he wanted to learn about. So he introduced over 50 bills and they had all sorts of things in them. And this worked for him because his phone rang off the hook and his secretary was busy trying to schedule hundreds of meetings because people wanted to set him straight on why something was a good idea or a bad idea or where did he get this from? Oh, we need to have stakeholder meetings. And But that was unusual. But most of them, they'll maybe do the one or two bills. But Yeah, I remember that. And I remember being one of those people with my hair on fire (laughs) over something he suggested that he had no idea about. He just wanted people to come to him, tell him about it. And so, yeah, he's been in and out of the legislature over the past few years. I I don't think he's there anymore. So So let me get this straight. You mean that lawmakers don't use the evidence-based public health approaches from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force in order to craft policy recommendations that are evidence-based? Are we both laughing like hyenas? Can you imagine? Penny, you raised an interesting point about easy bills and agency bills and the stuff that has to happen. I really think the interesting barometer of this session is going to be those must-do things. The access, the Medicaid agency is up for renewal this year. There has to be a bill that says we want to continue this program as it's been developed. We can do all the things we want to the Medicaid program, but if it's not around... That's sort of our most fundamental thing. So it'll be interesting to see if that goes through because that's a good government thing or if people start lining up in partisan ways on the must do stuff. The school expenditure limit is another one that that has to happen by March or schools actually can't spend money. So we'll have a sense of where some of these freshmen are going to be landing earlier than the budget. And it really is critical for those organizations that have some of those pieces in the budget that need to be funded or need to be passed again or need to be approved. It is really critically important that they get in early with especially those members of the committees that those bills are assigned to. 
and talk with each one of those members of the committee and really let them know the data behind what that bill represents and what how it helps those members of our state, our community. And if they can get the information about how it affects that legislator's district, it gives them a tool for them to be able to talk about it intelligently and work with members of their community to let them know why they took an action or why they didn't take an action, or they can put together their rationale. Because when you're elected official, you're there to do a good job for your district. So everybody wants to look good and know as much information as possible to be able to share their story about why they voted in a certain manner. And so the sooner you can go in and kind of set that stage form about what it is that your organization is doing, whether it's an association, a nonprofit, a business, even an agency, they need to go in and tell them why something is useful, who it's going to impact, how much it will honestly cost, but what are the tangible and intangible outcomes. So, you know, and now is the time to get in there with new members, especially. They, they need and want your information for their orientation and, and they love to have the, this information in advance. And, and I should say also succinctly materials that they can take and digest rather easily because we all represent our different organizations and have focus. But these folks, I'm not sure how many bills have been introduced already, but I guess it was last week there were 700 bills that were introduced. So there are a lot of topics. We live in an era of 15 second commercials and TikTok videos. And none of us are immune to that and the effects that it has essentially, and that there's a lot of issues of the day. And so if you do have a 50 or 100 page report that you need a lawmaker to look at, gosh, darn it, make a one page executive summary. One page might actually be too much. Boil it down to, to a single paragraph. That's exactly it. I want to ask, so both of you kind of alluded to this a little bit that freshman lawmakers, new leadership, there are certain bills that we're going to hear at the state legislature this year that are seemingly no brainers. Deb, you mentioned, let's keep access as a program. Seems like if you have 2.5 million Arizonas getting health insurance through a program, it's a good idea to keep it around, even if you want to make changes to it. So that's probably going to get approved, but it doesn't mean there's not going to be a little or a lot of politicking around it which some ideas for reforms will be great. Some of them will seem like completely out of nowhere ideas. So how do you two keep your sanity during each one of these processes? (laughs) You've, You've seen this year after year after year. Sometimes your hair can get lit on fire, but maybe you're quick to like put a colander on your head just to calm it down a little bit. How do you keep your sanity? The people that we have elected, even though some of them I don't agree with on in any way, shape or form, they've gone through what I went through, what Penny went through. They've run for office because they think they have good ideas. And it's our responsibility to sort of help them manage the fire hose that they're drinking from. I don't know that I've met anybody out there that just wanted to get elected to blow up government. 
okay, maybe one or two, but that was <laughs> just going to say <laughs> eight others who were really down there for the right reasons. They may not be my reasons. And in the Medicaid and in the healthcare space, our stuff is complicated. I would go in to see new legislators and start with the very basics. Medicare is for old people. Medicaid is for low income people. And if you don't have any nexus around healthcare, you have to help them take baby steps towards understanding. I mean, I didn't go crazy because fundamentally I thought I was down there for all the right reasons. And second, if you can help somebody understand and navigate a complicated process, that's worthwhile. One thing that I think is very helpful with some of the new members too is they have very good staff or historically, and and I think now too, they have very good staff that can help, that they support the legislative members, but they also inform the public too. So if there are questions that your organization has, you can also call the policy staff member who's in charge of that issue. And also the freshman legislators, they're going to be looking to staff as well. Staff a lot of times has history If they don't know something, they'll go do the research for you and bring it back to you as a member. Um, Can't say that for all the constituents that might call in, but, you know, they do have a lot of history there as well. So it's helpful to have that team and not forget about that part of the team at the Capitol, whether it's at the legislative level or in the governor's executive office. She has executive policy advisors that will be able to answer questions for you or give you guidance on where you can go to get answers because sometimes it's not in the governor's office. It might be at Department of Economic Security or it could be Department of Corrections or one of the other state agencies. So I just wanted to throw in that little bit about staff and how helpful they can be as well. And to that point about state agencies, moving away from the state capitol and the governor's office, A new governor also brings with them new state agency directors. This year, Arizona is going to have new leadership at the State Department of Health Services, the Department of Economic Security, Access will have a new director, the Department of Housing will have a new director, and the list goes on. Policy is still made at the level of state agencies, not just in the state legislature, but also administratively and through regulations in the state agencies. So when you see the incoming slate of state leadership through state agencies, what sticks out? Is there anything that's different from years past? Anything that gives you hope? Anything that gives you concern? How do you kind of look at the role of state agency leadership in the context of policymaking moving forward? have really been struck by the number of advocates that the governor has appointed. Our new access director used to be a provider of behavioral health services. The new health director was a public, a county public health leader. The housing director is one of the leading housing advocates in the state. DCS is run now by a child advocate. They all have deep skills and experience, so I'm not discounting that, but they all share sort of a common background in an advocacy for the cause that they believe in. And that is so different 
from most of the members of Governor Ducey's cabinet who were policy-driven directors. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Make that distinction between the advocate versus, I think your term was the policy-driven. Carmen Heredia, the new access director, versus Tom Betlack, who I won't be mad if I call him out, who was a director. Nobody would ever probably think of Tom first as an advocate. He was driven and could quote numbers and implications better than anybody in state government. Carmen's background and experience is completely different than that. Both of them are share a passion for the Medicaid space, but it's just coming from a direction of policy and budget and numbers versus advocacy on behalf of a program that she's been deeply steeped in for years. Tom was always known as like this, the brilliant finance guy who yeah. <laughs> was one of the longest standing access directors in the state, maybe the longest standing. Yeah, I see, I see that. Too. And it's funny when you talk about him as being the advocates. And to me, when I look at him, a lot of these folks, I see them as nonprofit leaders. <laughs> so, and nonprofits. And I, I go, oh, yeah, I get that. They are both in many times because it's it's one profession. It's one area that they care very deeply about. And I don't want to make it seem simpler, but some of the others were were more of administrators. It seems of the agencies a little bit different. But then when I look back at some of the nonprofit leaders, nonprofits are a a lot like businesses. They have to run their agencies. They've got to pay the payroll. They've got to comply with all of the regulations of running a business. The only thing they do, and which this is kind of an interesting misnomer of a nonprofit, is uh, that's just a tax status. We've got tons of nonprofits and some of them, many of them are small businesses. A handful of them are large businesses. And I would say a large business like Goodwill, that's a larger, but we have tons of nonprofits that are like less than a hundred employees, but these are all kind of smaller business units that are out there and maybe differentiation in, they have a voice around certain topics that they're very passionate about and they can go and speak to them and their former roles that they've had. In their current roles, these new nonprofit leaders, advocate leaders, will have to see how they manage through that because now their role is different and they're going to have to grow into this different kind of leadership and different kind of role because it might be very welcome at one level or with one committee, it may not be welcome with others. So they're going to have to feel through that a little bit. So let me ask, why does this matter? Most of the stuff we hear about in the news, and I'm, I'm being facetious and kind of making this a leading, leading statement, but most of the things we hear about in the news in terms of state policymaking is happening at the governor's office. It's happening with these wild ideas that are being kicked around with our state lawmakers and the state legislature. We don't hear about the stuff that's happening at the agency level. So does it really matter who's in the leadership positions in these state agencies? The agency directors are the people that actually do the hard work of government. They are the people that make the government work. 
and I'm okay if the general public doesn't know about him because as you said, if they know about him, it's probably because there's a problem. But let's look at access to the Medicaid program. It is a partnership with the federal government. So we have state rules and regulations. We have federal rules and regulations. The feds pay for 70 of it. We pay for 30%. So you've got a lot of money. We need leadership who can manage all of that and be a steward for the program because today the Medicaid program is going to hit $22 billion. That's way bigger than the actual state government budget. So in my view, those agency directors, like the director of access, they have all that they can handle. There are plenty of us who can be advocates on their behalf, and we should be, but I think it's the obligation and responsibility of those agency directors to really make sure that the trains run on time and that we don't hear about them in the news. Because when we do, it's usually not good. Somebody at corrections escaped, somebody died in a nursing home, We want it to all work, and we rely on them enormously to make that happen. Penny, your thoughts? Why does it matter who's in these agency leadership positions? Well, I agree with Deb. Those are the folks that are supposed to be administering the programs, the legislation, everything that's been passed, the guidelines and making sure that they are complying with the law and people are getting housing and children are finding homes and all these other things that are very critical out there. They're making sure that it happens. And so if we don't hear from them, that's okay. And I don't know how some agency directors are a little more flexible, let's say, in their interpretations of being able to get certain things done, and they will do what they can when they see a problem to move through to a solution without having to pass a bill or what have you. Something comes to their attention, and they put the solution together and make sure that it happens so that we do the things that we're supposed to do, whether providing public health and safety being the most critical of those. And so when these new folks get in and get on their feet a little bit more, they'll be able to have a little bit of latitude to be able to do those things too. And so they do have experience in their arenas. And so they will be able to maybe jump in a little bit more quickly to do some of those things to help the people that are using the services of their agency, whether it's getting a driver's license or a foster parent that needs some guidance around something or some flexibility on something or what have you. But the number one thing, as Deb said, is they're there to administer the laws and make sure that we're in compliance. And and if they do see a problem, bring it to the attention of the executive for getting it sorted out. And if it needs a bill, the agency can work with the legislature to get it figured out. They have a lot of roles, but the number one priority is to administer the laws that have already been passed. Let me paint a picture. You're sitting in a room. You have all the new state lawmakers in front of you. You have the new governor in front of you. You have the new governor's policy advisors in front of you. You have all the new state agency leads in front of you. What's the one piece of advice that you offer to this new state leadership? 
I would say look at, at each member and each issue with an open mind and for the solutions to the problems to come forward. Try not to assess intent where none is attributed. So I know sometimes we walk into a situation where we're already got a cloud over our head and thinking this isn't going to work out well. I think it's really helpful when you can walk into a room and don't put on somebody else what you think their intent will be before you've even had the conversation. When you think the best of folks before you walk into a room and start your discussions, your words and your actions will represent that. I'm here to be with you to solve a problem. I'm such an optimist. I try to think of strategies to help people think about the problems that there are, identify what's the problem that we're trying to solve and how can we positively move forward together, even though we may not be coming from the same perspective, but how can we possibly work together in a positive framework to find solutions? It's really important that we don't ascribe a a certain intent to other, because many times it's just not really there. So many of the bills that pass, they pass with unanimous support. It's the ones that we hear about with a lot of acrimony that get on the news. But there are so many bills that pass where both Republicans and Democrats are in complete harmony. So anyway. Now, we often start off our own team meetings and community meetings with make sure that we're assuming the best of intent, regardless of wherever you're coming from and whether you know the person across the table from you or not. Deb. Yeah. Okay. So I would bring Penny with me. To be talk about a be on your shoulder intentions because that was brilliant and something that I should hear every day. I would tell them, please do the right thing. You know the difference between right and wrong. And so if you do the right thing, we'll all be better off. And then I would give them the advice that I always give to new legislators or newly elected people. And that is, oh my gosh, you've got such an incredible and precious opportunity to learn about people that you don't have anything in common with and don't blow it because it really is an extraordinary opportunity for you to interact with people from all different kinds of ways of life and perspectives. And if you take advantage of that, it will serve you well for the rest of your life. Wow, that's awesome. I like that. (laughs) I like the image of Deb being in front of the room of all this state leadership and Penny on your shoulder, Penny on Deb's shoulder, whispering, remember, assume the best of intentions. (laughs) That's right. That when are you running, Deb? What's your next election? Not me. There's a U.S. Senate seat coming open pretty soon. (laughs) Yeah, I heard it just got crowded. (laughs) (laughs) It did. All right. On the flip side, you now have an audience of Vitalist Health Foundation's Spark Podcast listeners hearing you out. They're going to hear about all these new state policies that are proposed, things coming from the legislature, things agencies are doing things that the governor's office is doing, what would be your advice to the advocate community, to the general public about better understanding or interacting with state policy? I'll tell you what I would tell the advocate community, and that is you people need to be singing from the same song sheet because the governor is going to have her hands 
full with the Republicans in the legislature and she'll need your help. And you all can't be fighting amongst yourselves over the details of her agenda. And can I just use one example? Kids care. The Republicans have killed the expansion of kids care at least a half a dozen times in the 10 years I have been engaged on this topic. And with the Republicans still in control, I don't see that getting across. So is kids care a fall on your sword issue that you want her to to use her very limited ability to negotiate to negotiate over or are there other issues? Is private school vouchers the one? Is more pay for teachers the one? With divided government, the governor's going to have some opportunities, but they're not going to be bountiful. And it will help her if the people who supported her campaign and who are standing tall with her can align on what those most important things are. Well said. Yeah, I, I think Deb's got it right on there, is coordinate once you, you find those one or two issues that you think these are the things that are do or die for at the end of the session, we have to have them. Everybody's got to be singing off the same page and everybody's got to be supporting each other in their effort. Because if one or two of your network is running off and saying something different, it gives an easy excuse not to do something. Exactly. Passing ed- legislation is really hard. Killing bills, I could do that all day long. Passing bills is really hard. You have to have everybody singing off the same song sheet. It is really important. It sounds like the suggestion that our state lawmakers compromise extends beyond just the state lawmakers, that sometimes we need to look at our our own selves in the mirror and, and find ways where we can work together, often through compromise. Yep. Before we end the show... Are there any other words of advice that you want to share, whether it's with the advocate community, with nonprofits who are listening in, if state leadership is listening into this, anything else you want to really emphasize about this kind of new era in state leadership? The election is two years away. I know you guys don't do that. Don't do that. But the clock is ticking. The legislature is going to have an opportunity to turn over again in two years. So it seems like Katie Hobbs has a lot of time to implement her agenda, but that's just not true. It's going to be hard. So step it up. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back to education. Take when you can, take a moment, find out what those priorities are. Get on the same song sheet with your colleagues on, on those couple of issues. Then start getting with those legislative members and telling your story about why your bill or a couple of bills should be priorities. That they'll probably introduce 15, 1600 bills this year, probably 325 to 345 will be passed into law. If you want to make sure one of those is yours, you got to be coordinated in harmony and working together on them and really educating the members as much as possible. And sometimes that means we have to be educated and do our homework and then go and succinctly put it on that one piece of paper and start working it as much as you can. Education is a good thing at so many levels. Penny Alley Taylor, Deb Gullett, you're both still very much involved in the community, (laughs) even in retirement. If anybody listening in needs to reach out to Penny, you can find her in a handful of meetings. Penny and I run into each other on a weekly basis. 
particularly with the Alliance of Nonprofits or the Arizona Grant Makers Forum. Deb, if you need to get in contact with Deb, just know that she will be on her couch, cocktail in hand, screaming at the state legislature <laughs> on her computer. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Many thanks to Deb Gullett and Penny Alley Taylor for an enjoyable and insightful conversation. The recent and ongoing changes in Arizona state leadership were sparked by all of us using our voices and voting in the general election. But our civic duties are far from over. New state leadership presents an incredible opportunity for new ideas, new connections, and new solutions, all of which still need input from our individual and collective voice. So reach out to your new state legislators, build working relationships with these leaders, and offer your experience to the issues that we face. Because when Arizonans and their elected leaders work hand in hand, the promise of a healthier Arizona comes closer within reach. As always, many thanks to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations, Star Worldwide Networks, and producer Rob Trigg for production and sound design. If you like this episode, be sure to check out all of our episodes by subscribing to the Vitalist Spark podcast. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.